The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, is sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, a leading Australian corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Focused on your vision, Barclay Pierce specialises in making it a successful reality. Hello and welcome to Stock Insiders with me, Oriel Morrison. Now today we're looking at an ASX-listed company called Straker Translations, which uses AI to power global translations. Now the company is supported by technology investment firm Bailador and is playing in a global market worth some 57 billion US dollars. Listed in Australia, the ASX code is STG, the market cap at the time of recording just over 77 million Australian dollars. Joining me now, co-founder and CEO Grant Straker. Grant, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Ryan. Great to be here. Thanks for having us along. Talk to us a little bit about the story of Straker Translations, because you started this company way back in 1996. And of course, it was a very, very different beast when you first started the company. So tell us the story. Yeah, look, it's actually 1999 when we started. And uh, look, I mean, it goes long. I actually uh, met my uh, my wife just um, six weeks before I founded the company with her. Um, and uh, I had uh, taught myself, I'd been in the army and then I'd taught myself uh, code to code and, and there was this uh, uh, this new sort of uh, development of dynamic websites away from static websites and, and you needed programmers to be able to do that. I taught myself those skills, uh, which, which were quite rare at the time I, I found out. So people asked me if I would come and consult for them and, and do some work for them because nobody had um, seemed to have the, the skills at the time. So off the back of that, I just met my wife and said, actually, I'm just about to give up my job and um, and do this. And um, she said, well, I'll give up my job as well then. And, <laughs> and so we, we just we started it then, having only known each other uh, for, for a couple of months. And um, I guess 22 years later and three children and two dogs um, and, a, and a global global company with 300, nearly 300 staff. And this is where we're at today. What was the hardest part, do you think, of that? I mean, that was a real leap of faith for, for both of you. Oh, yeah, it was. I mean, um, oh, dealing with their parents probably. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was tough, was it? <laughs> yeah. Well, we had to sell. You know, we, we both sold our we, – we both had houses and we sold them to support our business and everybody thought we were crazy. And especially when houses was you know we were going crazy then and have carried on going crazy for 20-odd years. So people thought we were a bit mad, especially in, in industries. You know, my wife had come out of pharmaceutical industry. I'd come out of um, engineering, and so people just just didn't really know what was going on, and they didn't understand the tech. But um, yeah, so that was the hardest part. And, and look, for about ten years, we the, the company was um, we realised quite early when we did, were doing some work for some customers that we needed to take the services work we were doing and turn that into a product because we were building these uh, multilingual website platforms. So we made a product, and for ten years we had this business where we would sell this um, solution pre-cloud where you had to install stuff and um, it was a lot more complicated. Uh, and and we, I guess we had a bit of a lifestyle business there. It was, it was hard to scale. Um, and we got to about 2010 and we could see the opportunity in, in the localization industry to actually provide 
um, a technology AI enabled service. We we could see it come in. The industry couldn't. Um, uh, and and I guess we then did a big pivot around building out an organisation um, that that could uh, use machines and humans together and, and automation to to transform the industry. And uh, you know that that was quite a tough period. Switch it out from one business model to another. Uh, we had a few young kids at the time, um, but uh, yeah, once we got through that, then, then it's sort of been a, an upward trajectory ever since. It has certainly by looking at your looking at your results, they've been hugely positive um, as of late. And in fact, you've announced a massive ninety nine percent growth in revenue compared to the previous comparable period. And um, you know those sort of numbers are outstanding. Is that a COVID? Is that is there a COVID impact in there? Not not really. I think most of it was actually um, due to work that we did before COVID. So um, it was actually making the right right decisions um so if, if you you know over the last 12 years since 2010 if you break it into three-year periods what happened really in that first three years we were like the startup just get revenue get yeah um using online channels um and then from about 2013 to 16 we, we hit some industry sort of headwinds where the industry wasn't ready for change and we were growing and it would t- take in time to get the customers so Growth was a bit slower, but we knew we had the right technology solution and we could see it coming. And then from sort of 2016 to 2019, what we had realized was the way to grow was to acquire customers on a regional basis by buying small language service providers, expanding the relationships that they had globally, um, and and then growing the business that way. So 16 to 19, we started buying some small language service providers. Revenues of normally around about three to five million, and, and we were sort of paying somewhere between that that price, um, sort of you know, fifty cents in the dollar to a dollar of revenue for these companies. Um, we listed in that time because we could see that that if we were going to have an acquisitive strategy, that, that being in a listed environment was the right place for us to be. Now, what's happened from twenty nineteen to is that that strategy's worked. Those companies that we bought did enable us to leverage global um, global customers. Our technology is the right fit for those global customers. And so therefore, we've seen this really rapid expansion happen through this COVID period. But it was actually all the work we did before that, that that's made this pay off. Well, you, you, you've done a number of deals. You've done a number of, of acquisitions now. Um, most recently, um, or one of your most recent ones is IDEST. Um, so talk to us about this particular acquisition and, and how much it's impacting your, your results, your numbers. So, so, so um, there's lots of different ways to pronounce it. Um, the Belgians pronounce it EDEST, so we'll go with, we'll go with that one. Um, so, uh, so they're a company that specialises in um, working for large global organisations. So... Uh, the EU, the UN, the World Bank, those types of large organisations. And to work for those sorts of organisations, you need to um, know how to tender for their sort of work, be on their approved procurement lists, have um, just 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 kind of be inside that environment. So it's a very hard environment to organically come from the outside and get in, into. And so we bought a company that had 30 years of experience of, of working with these large organisations. Um, 
had locked in contracts, was part, you know, an, an approved uh, vendor who could tender on um, some very large projects. Now, the EU, for example, I think are the world's largest spender on translation services. So quite a significant sum and, and a lot of large projects. So with EDES, what, what we did was um, I spoke to them in about 2000 and I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think before COVID, but maybe 2018, I, I was going through Belgium and saw them and their revenues then uh, were probably half of what they were today, but they, they were saying that they've, they've had some really positive traction on a range of big um, long-term tenders. Um, and we said, look, well, once you're starting to see all that play out, should we talk again? Um, so, you know, fast forward a couple of years, they'd said what they were going to do. Uh, we were in a good place and the founders uh, were ready to exit the business. So the revenues of the last 12 months were around about six and a half million in New Zealand dollars in terms of their revenue. If you look at the quarter, they contributed uh, in our um, Q4, we're a March year end, and our Q4, uh, they contributed $2 million. So they have um, really outperformed on a run rate basis uh, our expectations in terms of where they were. It's, it's, um, and, and now what we've got is a, a very significant pipeline inside those large global organisations. And um, be, because they were specialists in, say, French and German and a couple of European languages, they couldn't provide Chinese or African languages or Arabic, for example, but, but as a group, we can now. So we can now tender right across a, a much broader range of um, of projects. And so, um, you know, that is that is turning out to be a really uh, fantastic buy. The other thing that we do when we, when we get these companies is we put our platform in place so that we can increase the margins and get um, consolidation efficiencies. So um, we originally thought it might take six to 12 months to, to get that done. Uh, I was told by my team this week that it'll actually be uh, first week of June, we'll have that over. So, you know, we're getting very, uh, very efficient at onboarding and integrating these companies as well. So what does the next 12 months look like then on the acquisition front in terms of uh, growth, Grant? So in terms of acquisitions, we, we're not looking to do any acquisitions at the moment. Look, we, we have a, a very healthy uh, balance sheet um, and you know, for us, um, we, we're really just given the, the way the market is at the moment, I, I think it is about certainly the next six months of uh, consolidating, you know, that as, as you mentioned, sort of nine 100% growth. There's <laughs> quite a lot to, uh, on board and we, we've still got, um, you know, other, other decent-sized projects coming through. So really for the next six months at least, we want to consolidate. We want to see what happens ar- around the world in terms of what opportunities there might be over the next six months in, uh, in, in that acquisition space take our time, uh, make sure that we remain with a, you know, a very healthy uh, balance sheet as, as the sort of world goes through its current um, crazy phase that, that we're all experiencing and, and then just see, see how things play out. Now, you've got some major clients. So, um, you know, we touched on them briefly, but, uh, you know, clients like IBM, um, how do you go about, you know, getting these kind of clients and, and, and keeping them and, in fact, expanding your client list? IBM was a major project that we've onboarded over the last 18 months um, where they consolidated from 20 different vendors down down to one in us. And they did that because we have technology uh, that enables them to communicate far more easily with their customers and for them to grow their business seamlessly. So um, 
Yeah, the way that we do it is we've invested very heavily in in our sales force globally. Um, we've probably gone from 35 to 50 salespeople or something like that. Um, and over the last 12 months. And, and the reason for that is that in each market, we can see these large enterprise opportunities, but we, you, you don't close them in the same way that you've closed mid-tier acquisition you know, um, opportunities. So, you know, a multi-million dollar, multi-year deal takes a certain type of uh, person to, to close. Um, and so we've beefed up our resources in that enterprise sales space. Uh, and... And, and now we have these, you know, these fantastic case studies of these very large organisations that are consolidating for very good reasons into a technology-driven vendor. Uh, so, so that's part of um, the way that we do it. Uh, we also go quite deep into some uh, ecosystems. So there are some platforms out there that we um, we we have some great technology that, that's custom made for. Um, specific content management or e-commerce platforms. And so that's another way that we drive into these large organisations. So, Grant, you've got a, a highly scalable platform. Um, you've also got a constantly, a consistently evolving product. What does the next sort of 12 months to two years look like in terms of I- innovation in your technology? Oh, that's a really good question right now because I, I, I've, a few analysts have asked me that one as, as the world sort of evolves and change changes. So what what we're looking to do is to be where our customers are. So I, I just talked about, say, those platforms. If, if a customer is using a specific platform, we want to have our technology embedded inside of that platform. And we want to be where the customer is interacting with content. So... What we can see are things like um, Slack or Microsoft Teams, for example, where people are inside these environments and they're using content and they're sharing it and they might want things done. People have had enough of um, – everybody, I'm sure, has this, the issue right now of too many apps, right? And you don't even know which app you're logging into for what. I know in our organisation, um, you know, we've got all sorts of apps for all sorts of things. Um and, but what you're finding is a lot of it's getting centralised into these um, uh, sort of chat communication portals uh, like Teams and Slack. So we want to be right in the heart of that or into the content management platforms that they might use or into the e-commerce type of um, system. So an example of that is we have a Magento uh, plugin. So Magento is a large e-commerce platform used by lots of um, yeah, organisations to run these, these global sort of stores. So uh, a big customer of ours that uses it is H and M, where they're using doing, you know a lot all these online orders through um, uh, Magento. So we have a, a best in class plugin for that, um, and uh, it just means that they can download this plugin, install it into their system. It integrates automatically into our back end translation portal. Um, but th- but they don't have to log into our translation portal. They can manage it all inside of Magento, which is where they're working. So so that's one way that we're um, uh, de- uh, focusing our development. The other one is on moving um, more to a subscription model, an underlying subscription model across our our base. Um, so at the moment we have about five million dollars of of SaaS subscription revenue, uh, and what, what we're looking to do is to build more 
product lines for SaaS, if you like, into our business and to start to add value to our customers by by moving them across to that type of model. Now, it never be all of our revenue because so much of it is based on, on project-driven. But if it ends up being 20% of our revenue, that's still a substantial um, subscription-based business when you when you look at our, you know, we did 17 and a half million in the last quarter. Uh, you, know, you, you annualize that, it's, it's close to 70 million and you know, you take a quarter of that, it's, it's a reasonable um, SaaS component to our business. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Um, talking about um, your, your business, the capital position that you have at the moment is is, is pretty solid, really. You, you've got cash in the bank, you don't have any debt. Um, what are you planning on doing with the funds in the bank? I mean, is, is this going towards that research that you're talking about? You, we, we talked about acquisitions and you said you're not looking for anything at the moment. What, what are your plans for the capital that you've got there at the moment? So at, at the moment, it is some of it is going into the the R and D side of of what we're doing. Um, in our last quarterly, you know, we, we've been um, uh, adjusted EBITDA profitable. We're operating cash flow um, positive, so we're in you know in a pretty good place. Um, and and really, any capital that that we utilise is 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 used to, to I guess fund our business. Um, growth activities. So as as you get bigger, you need a little bit more working capital to just um, you know manage uh, manage things through. Um, so a bit of it goes on that. But um, yeah, the rest at the moment, I think we're just trying to keep a strong balance sheet, um, keep the powder dry, and and you know, let's get through the next um, six months and sort of see what happens on the on a global scale. And, and there may well be some fantastic opportunities for acquisition or for um, organic growth initiatives. Uh, so we'll just, yeah, probably just keep the power dry for six months and see, and see what, what, we, what we do later in the year. All right. Okay, Grant, um, look, it's been great to have this time with you today. Thanks so much for chatting to us. Well, thanks for uh, having me along. Very much look forward to watching your journey and we'll catch up again in a few months' time and see where you're at. Now that wraps it up for this edition of Stock Insiders with me, Oriel Morrison. Thanks for joining us, everyone, and we'll catch you next time. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, was sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, Australia's leading corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Barclay Pierce Capital provides specialised corporate advisory and equities trading services to privately owned businesses, small to medium-sized public and ASX-listed companies.